Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. I'm Katia Adler, host of The Global Story. Over the last 25 years, I've covered conflicts in the Middle East, political and economic crises in Europe, drug cartels in Mexico. Now I'm covering the stories behind the news all over the world in conversation with those who break it. Join me Monday to Friday to find out what's happening, why, and what it all means. Follow The Global Story from the BBC wherever you listen to podcasts. When you think about the future, what kind of technology do you envision? Whatever the future holds, artificial intelligence will undoubtedly be at the heart of it all. Join Graham Class as he hosts Season 2 of Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast, and hear from the minds transforming healthcare, retail, entertainment, personal computing, and more with the help of AI. Tune in every other Tuesday and explore the latest technology that's changing our world today and creating a more accessible tomorrow. Listen to Technically Speaking, an Intel podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, this is your boy Lil Duval, and check out my podcast, Conversations with Unc, on the Black Effect Podcast Network. Each and every Tuesday, Conversations with Unc podcast feature casuals and in-depth talk about ebbs and flows of life and the pursuit of happiness. Unlike my work on stage, I tap into a more serious and sensitive side to give life advice and simply offer words of encouragement, yet remind folks to never forget to laugh. Every Tuesday, listen to Conversations with Unc, hosted by Lil Duval on the Black Effect Podcast Network, iHeartRadio app, or wherever you get your podcasts. Presented by AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Welcome to Tech Stuff, a production from iHeartRadio. Hey there, and welcome to Tech Stuff. I am your host, Jonathan Strickland. I am an executive producer and apparently vampire at iHeartRadio. How the tech are ya? Okay, I'm, I'm dropping in now. You all got the cringe out of the way. First thing, we're done with that. But we are in spooky season as I publish this. It's October of 2022. And, you know, I don't typically do episodes that relate to spooky stuff, but I thought it would be fun if I did a few this month that are tangentially, maybe questionably themed to be halloween ish. This gets a little tricky in tech. I mean, I have done episodes about stuff like the tech in professional haunted house attractions and stuff like that, which is great, but uh, you know, I I can't really revisit that. There's not a whole lot more to say. I did do a classic episode with my co-host Chris Paulette about ghost hunting technology uh, or so-called ghost hunting technology. 
Maybe I'll do an update to that because it's been so long since I recorded that that episode. And uh, and I always like getting my dander up about stuff like that. But, you know, pickings are slim when you look at stuff that you can theme toward Halloween in the tech space. But yesterday in the news episode, I talked about how some hacktivists, who at the very least are sympathetic to the Kremlin, uh, used distributed denial of service attacks or DDoS attacks against a dozen or so U.S. airport websites. Not air carriers, not the airlines, mind you, but the airport websites. And the attacks brought down some sites for a few hours, but otherwise had very little impact on travel. Now, you might say, okay, but how are you connecting DDoS attacks to Halloween? Well, the tenuous connective tissue is that to, to pull off a DDoS attack, hackers first have to assemble a botnet, which is a collection of compromised computer systems. And another phrase that sometimes describes a bot is zombie. And botnet would be a zombie army. So you have these zombie computers. And so zombies, it's totally thematic, right? Okay, let's start with a baseline. Before we get to distributed denial of service attack, let's just start with denial of service. What the heck is that? How does it work? Well, let's think of the internet as a giant interconnected mess of clients and servers. There there are other components there too. I am oversimplifying it down to clients and servers. So servers are the machines that hold the stuff that we want to access online. Maybe we are logging on to play an online game and the game exists on a server somewhere out on the internet, probably exists on several servers and we just connect to a specific one. Or maybe we want to order food online using an app. Well, that service is hosted on another server somewhere online. Or maybe we just want to pop onto the web and visit a news site and read up on the headlines. Well, that news site is on another server somewhere out there on the web. So the basic way the internet works is that you access a client. So one example of a client would be a web browser on your computer. That's the client. So that's your point of access to the internet. And you want to see something specific like that news site, let's say. So you type in the URL for the news site into your browser, and the browser sends out a message that goes across the internet, and it gets directed to the specific server that houses that URL. The server receives this request from your client, and then it replies to that request. It sends the files that represent the front page of that news site to your client, your web browser. Your web browser then displays those files as a web page to the user. In a way, this is the most simplified method to describe what's going on with the internet in general and the web in particular. The, the specifics get a little more sophisticated than that, but from a very high level, that is what's happening with web traffic without getting into things like packets and routing and all that kind of stuff. Now, sometimes stuff goes wrong in this process. You know, maybe the server that's holding the files you want has gone offline for some reason. So you get an error back because your request could not be answered. The server that would normally be there for some reason isn't there. 
maybe there are issues between the client and the server. So it's not that the server has an issue or that your client has an issue, but something in the middle is causing some problems. Or maybe the client connection goes down. Like maybe your home internet has gone down and that's the problem. Or maybe the server is online. There are no other issues between your client and the server, but the server itself is currently overwhelmed. Now that can happen naturally without malice involved. So let's say, for example, that word gets out about a new video game console, let's say. And everyone knows when that console is officially going to go up for pre-order and you can go straight to this company's website and sign up for a pre-order the moment it becomes available and you will be first in line to get this brand new video game console. And lots of people know about this. So tons of people are interested and invested in this. So the appointed hour arrives and now millions of people around the world are all frantically attempting to connect to the same server to put in their pre-order. And the server is just overwhelmed by the mass of incoming traffic and it slows down the server's ability to respond to the requests. So everyone's starting to experience these long delays as they try and connect. And you get increasingly frustrated because you're waiting and waiting and waiting for a web page to load in your browser. And the server's doing its best to respond to demands. Sometimes this kind of situation can be enough to actually cause the server to crash entirely, which is even more frustrating because then it has to go through the whole reboot process before you can connect to it again. And that obviously makes matters more frustrating. And like I said, this all can happen naturally just due to demand. We've seen it happen multiple times, even in modern day. Like we saw it happen a lot early in the days of the web because of, you know, unexpected demand. But it still happens today, too. However, this thing that can happen naturally can also be caused to happen artificially. A nefarious person can try and create that sort of situation on purpose. Now, this brings us to a denial of service attack or DOS attack, D-O-S, big D, little O, big S. All right, so there's an analogy that I love to use when talking about denial of service. I'm going to use it again. So imagine for a moment that anytime anyone rang your doorbell or knocked on your door, you absolutely had to go answer the door. You couldn't pretend not to be home or ignore it. You are compelled. You have no other option. You have to answer the door. Now, let's say you're at home and you've decided that you want to make yourself a snack. You're feeling peckish. So you start to head to your kitchen, but then someone rings the doorbell. So you turn around and you walk to the front door and you open it, but there's no one there. So you close the door and you head back inside. You start heading back to the kitchen, but you get two steps toward the kitchen and the doorbell rings again. So you do a 180, you walk back to the door and you open it. There's no one there. Those darn kids. And now you're getting irritated, possibly because you've got some low blood sugar going on because you haven't had your snack yet. So you close the door, you turn back to head toward the kitchen. Bing bong goes the doorbell and you turn around again to answer the door. And once again, no one is there. And this happens over and over. And because you are compelled to answer the door, you can't ever make any progress doing anything else. And then eventually you just collapse in frustration, starvation, and confusion. And a, a denial of service attack is, is really similar to this. A basic one might be that someone is sending a message to a server. 
but the return address for this message goes nowhere. So it's a message that's going to a server, but the server has the wrong information about where that message came from and where it has to send its reply. So the hacker's just sending message after message to the server with this false return address, and the server has to answer each one. That's the server's job. So the hacker is just flooding the server as much as possible to bring it down because the server can't just ignore incoming messages. If a server ignored incoming messages, the basic operations of the internet would break down. Now, that kind of attack is actually not that hard to defend against because if you do detect it, if you detect that there's an unusual amount of traffic coming from a single source, um, even if that source is a fake IP address, you can just block anything coming from there. And then you can keep accepting other traffic and it's, it's in the grand scheme of things, relatively easy to deal with a, a denial of service attack, a basic denial of service attack. But the denial of service attack is small change compared to a distributed denial of service attack. This is big D, big D, little O, big S, DDoS. So to do a DDoS attack, a hacker needs access to a bunch of computers. This is the distributed part. And working together, these computers, which could number in the millions for a particularly huge zombie army or botnet, they can all work together to send messages to a targeted server, which then gets bogged down trying to answer all these messages. Now, if this podcast were instead a book, I would have put a footnote up there when I mentioned large botnets. It is hard to get a real figure for how big a botnet is. It, it, you can make some estimates, but it's hard to get a, a firm grasp, largely because computers are not necessarily always on, right? They're not always connected. You might turn your computer off or you might your internet connection might go down or whatever. And so it's not easy to actually quantify how big these botnets can be. However, we have some general idea of some of the largest ones. So there was a botnet, still is a botnet, associated with a Trojan called Zeus that involved more than 13 million computers. So they can be quite large. Uh, also, I should add, botnets can be used for lots of other stuff besides DDoS attacks. That's like one of the easily identifiable reasons for a botnet, but there are other ones as well. Uh, also, just adding that you should always be careful to make sure your machines don't become part of one, which means practicing good etiquette online, you know, making sure you're not downloading files that are coming from questionable sources, not clicking on links that are coming from questionable sources, all the, the basic stuff you know about. These are reasons why that's important to follow. All right, we've got some more to say about zombies, but first let's take a break. Working remotely, where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. 
Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. (laughs) People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already yeah. see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. We're back. All right. So for a DDoS attack to work, first, you have to actually gather your zombie army. And that alone requires a few steps of its own. So step one is you design or you make use of existing malware that compromises targeted computer systems. So if someone installs the malware, it creates a compromised computer system. So the goal is to create a means for a hacker to be able to send a command to the compromised machines that will then prompt the machine to follow orders. Uh, The malware could be relatively simple, where it just allows for this uh, DDoS attack approach, or it could be more extensive and frequently is more extensive that allows a, a wider spectrum backdoor access for hackers that could ultimately give a hacker administrator level access to a machine which is obviously a really bad thing for that target machine. And that's really why you need to be super careful 
and practice good etiquette when you're online because if you download certain types of malware, it essentially means you've just handed your computer over to a hacker, that they're able to get backdoor access to your, your system, they can look at all your files, they can lock it down, that's how ransomware works, where they lock down your computer system or lock down certain directories in your computer, and then they demand a ransom, uh, and in return, they will unlock those for you. So th this is, again, a reminder to be very careful when you're online. You don't want to hand over the keys to your system to some stranger, right? You just don't want to do that. Anyway, lots of hackers make use of already existing tools. Uh, there's a much smaller group of them who are actually designing the tools. Uh, those are the ones you really have to worry about. I mean, you have to worry about all of them. The The ones who just make use of pre-existing stuff in order to advance their own uh, agendas, uh, often they are dismissively referred to as script kiddies. They are taking existing script or programming and making use of it, but they're not writing it themselves. Uh, that That's a term that's often used for them. I find that term to be problematic simply because it doesn't reduce how potentially dangerous they can be. Uh, you, If you dismiss them and you think that they're not an issue, then you might be setting yourself up for being victimized. So I don't really like using the script kiddies designation. Anyway, a lot of the time, hackers hide malware packages inside a larger, seemingly legitimate file. And this is called the Trojan method. It's named after the Trojan horse of ancient legend. So instead of packing a bunch of soldiers inside a big wooden horse, these digital Trojan horses have a malware package hiding within them. So you design the Trojan to look like something else, maybe something that folks would really like to get hold of. This is one reason why you'll hear people caution others about downloading pirated files, you're going to sources where you've got, you know, stuff that's like games and movie files and all this kind of stuff supposedly ready for you to download. It's not just that the matter of piracy itself is illegal, that you're essentially stealing. The, you know, the idea of downloading a product without paying for that product is stealing. Uh, but it's also that hackers will sometimes insert malware into files and they will hide those in pirate communities. Like they'll they'll name the files something that people really want. You know, maybe it's like a, a, an upcoming film that hasn't hit theaters yet, but it's supposedly a leaked copy of it. And, you know, there are a lot of people who are curious about that and they'll go through the trouble of downloading it. Well, you hide some malware in there and whether it's the real film or not, you've delivered malware to someone and potentially convinced them to install it because, you know, maybe you've compressed the file in some way and you've disguised it and people are clicking on it. They're just eager to get a look at this movie. And in the process, they install malware to their machine. Also, if someone is illegally downloading files, that person is likely to resist speaking up about being victimized simply because they were already engaged in something that was questionable, right? They were pirating files. It, it's it's that thought that if someone's being dishonest, they're not going to come forward when you have targeted them because they're worried about being found out. So it's it's identifying your target audience and the ones that are less likely to actually take steps to fix a problem if it pops up. So that can give hackers more time 
with these compromised machines, these zombie computers. So hackers build up their zombie armies, their botnets, by distributing the malware in various ways. Uh, The Trojan method is just one of many. There are lots of others. And they monitor the botnet as it grows. They're essentially administering the the botnet in the back end. They have the ability to send out commands. This is why you get concepts like a zombie army, because the, the individual compromised devices are the soldiers of that army. The uh, hacker ends up being the commander of that army and can send out commands to the entire army. And maybe the hacker doesn't take action right away. Maybe they just sit and wait. They have this growing number of devices that are part of their army, and they just wait until the time's right. In fact, it's even possible that they don't even have a target in mind yet. They just, they compromise the machines, but it's really because they plan on doing an attack, but they haven't even decided who they're going to attack. That can sometimes happen too. But when the time comes, they send out the command to all these infected devices, at least the ones that are currently online, and they direct these devices to all start flinging messages at the target server, and boom, you got your distributed denial of service attack carried out by zombie computers. Spooky! Now, DDoS attacks can get more complicated than how I've described. For example, it's also possible to make use of compromised Internet of Things devices. They don't have to just be computers. And you may have heard me speak in past episodes about issues with IoT security in the past. Uh, Some companies are not very good at securing their devices properly. So you'll get a manufactured product. There's poor security on that product. Uh, The the assumption is just that it's not going to get targeted. Uh, There's a great example of various manufacturers that have used a common login and password for devices, like including routers, where there's a a generic uh, login and password And if you know the generic login and password for those routers, it means that you can access any router where the user has not made the effort to change those. And as you might guess, most people don't go to that effort. Most people fail to go in and change the default settings on their various devices, which means if you know the default login, you can access those devices, right? Even if you don't have access to other stuff on the network. So then hackers can get access to a very large install base of Internet of Things devices in this way. Four Scout Research Labs looked at more than 8 million devices in the IoT field, and they found that there are some particularly weak examples, and they happen to be in very important places. They found that one category of device, of IoT device that tends to have pretty weak security, are medical devices. That is terrifying. They also found that networking equipment was particularly weak with security. Again, this is like the infrastructure, the bones upon which everything is built, and those are weak points. It, it, in a way, it almost doesn't matter how much security you've built on top of everything else. If you can get at the underlying networking equipment, you can cause some real havoc. So it's possible to direct these kinds of devices to also send internet traffic to a targeted server. So a zombie army may not be composed of computers. It could include stuff that's well outside your typical computer. And as more devices join the Internet of Things, this problem continues to grow. 
And while companies like Cloudflare, which we'll talk about in a couple of minutes, have really come up with some mitigation strategies to deal with DDoS attacks, the attackers are always looking for other ways to be effective. DDoS attacks can also be sophisticated in other ways. So I gave a big overview of how DDoS works. But while that is an overview, you need to know that there are different types of DDoS attacks that target different elements or layers of a network. So you've got, you know, you can think of, of networking as different layers with each layer corresponding to a specific subset of uh, tasks. And I'm not going to go into the full layer description. I've done episodes about that in the past. But my point is that a DDoS attack can target a specific layer. And if you use a DDoS attack that targets multiple layers using lots of different computers, that becomes a very sophisticated DDoS attack, one that is much harder to defend against than one than a DDoS attack that uh, uh, targets just a single layer, like the, the, the web server layer that I kind of described earlier. Uh, the one that took down the airport websites that I mentioned at the beginning of this episode, that was a very simple DDoS attack. It was attacking a specific layer, just one, you know, so it wasn't a multi-layer attack, um, and so was therefore easier to defend against. But they don't all have to be like that. They can be a multi-layer attack from multiple vectors, and that becomes a much more challenging issue to defend against. And you know, the goal is almost always to gum up the network so that traffic slows to a crawl or it crashes entirely. So the goal is usually the same goal, right? You're just trying to disrupt connectivity to a specific target. But there are different ways of doing that, whether you're attacking the server itself or you're attacking elements within the internet that direct traffic to that server. And Maybe in a future episode, I'll go into more detail about that, but that's going to require like a full length episode. So we're going to leave that for now. We're also going to take another quick break. When we come back, I'm going to talk more about Cloudflare and how Cloudflare helps protect against things like DDoS attacks and keep us safe from the zombies. But first, this break. Working remotely, Where you are shouldn't dictate what you do. Work from the road by turning your vehicle into a reliable high-speed data Wi-Fi hotspot with AT&T in-car Wi-Fi. On the network that covers more roads than any other carrier, take your work on the road and AT&T will be there to keep you connected. Connect up to 10 devices and stream conference calls, finish up that presentation, or answer last-minute emails. Why wait? Go to att.com slash in-car Wi-Fi today for free trial eligibility. Based on independent third-party data, number of devices varies by manufacturer. Always pay careful attention to the road and don't drive distracted. Wi-Fi hotspot intended for passenger use only when vehicle is in operation. Compatible device and vehicle required. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought... In that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hold up. 
Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to talk about and go through all the things that are sometimes difficult to process alone. We're going to go over how to regulate your emotions, diving deep into holistic personal development, and just building your mindset to have a happier, healthier life. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, which is different than empathy, right? And basically have conversations that can help us get through this crazy thing we call life. I already believe in myself. I already see myself. And so when people give me an opportunity, I'm just like, oh great, you see me too. We'll laugh together, we'll cry together and find a way through all of our emotions. Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. The Therapy for Black Girls podcast is an NAACP and Webby award-winning podcast dedicated to all things mental health, personal development, and all of the small decisions we can make to become the best possible versions of ourselves. Here, we have the conversations that help Black women decipher how their past inform who they are today and use that information to decide who they want to be moving forward. We chat about things like how to establish routines that center self-care, what burnout looks and feels like, and defining what aspects of our lives are making us happy and what parts are holding us back. I'm your host, Dr. Joy Harden-Bradford, a licensed psychologist in Atlanta, Georgia, and I can't wait for you to join the conversation every Wednesday. Listen to the Therapy for Black Girls podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Take good care, and we'll see you there. Before the break, I mentioned Cloudflare, which provides several services, not just protection against DDoS, but that's one that a lot of people uh, relate Cloudflare to. They think of that as like a company that protects other companies from unwanted massive amounts of traffic. In other words, DDoS attacks. This is tricky because at least initially, a DDoS attack can look like legitimate traffic to a server. And, you know, you don't want to block legitimate traffic, right? You don't want to proactively cut people off from connecting to a server. The whole point is of servers is to allow clients to connect to them. And so if you are blocking off all traffic, then there might as well not be a server there at all. So you want to make sure you're able to differentiate between what an attack is and what legitimate traffic is. The server starts getting requests that are piling up, but these requests are coming from different machines with a DDoS attack, right? They're not coming from a single source. So at first blush, it looks like it's just a massive uptick in legitimate traffic. And as I said, there could be times when this actually happens. Like there are situations where this occurs naturally. So you have to be able to sort those moments out from malicious DDoS attacks. Now, the way Cloudflare does this involves a few different approaches. One is to look at the IP addresses of the incoming messages. Uh, If they originate from the same address or from a relatively narrow range of IP addresses, that's suspicious, right? If If you're looking at and you're thinking, these are all really similar, so it looks like they're all coming from the same group, that could indicate a DDoS attack. 
Similarly, if the traffic is coming in from a narrow range of behavioral profiles, that's a red flag. So a behavioral profile in this context is really about the type of device that sent the traffic in the first place, right? Was it a laptop? Was it a mobile device? Was it an Internet of Things device? So if you are running a news site and you start to detect a you know ton of traffic that's coming in from smart thermostats, that's a big old red flag because you can't really think of a reason why smart thermostats would be pinging a, a web server for a news site. So if you're Cloudflare, you might look at that incoming traffic and say, that's hinky. This is probably a DDoS attack. Also, if the surge in traffic starts arriving in patterns, like if you notice that every 30 minutes you get another surge, that's a red flag. If it's happening at a regularly, you know, kind of timed interval, that looks artificial. That looks like that's a system that's directing waves of messages at a predetermined amount of time. If they're not coming in haphazardly, if they're coming in in these waves, then that suggests it's an artificial attack. Or if you detect a huge traffic spike, but it's an unusual time of day, that's another indicator. For example, you wouldn't expect a ton of traffic to hit, say, a website for a, a line of credit unions that are on the east coast of the United States at 2 a.m. Eastern time, for example, right? Because typically those sites should only really be getting huge amounts of traffic or even just regular amounts of traffic during the daytime for Eastern time. So yes, the internet is global. So it's not like you would expect traffic to drop to zero necessarily, but we tend to see traffic behave in similar amounts uh, and, and in similar scale wherever the site happens to be based, right? So if a site is based on the East Coast of the United States, in the middle of the night in the U.S., you probably see a drop in traffic there. Uh, if you see a spike in the middle of the night, that's a potential indication of an attack. Now, obviously, that's not always true, but, you know, for certain types of sites, it's a good rule of thumb. So first, Cloudflare actually has to differentiate an attack from legitimate traffic. And then it essentially has to block incoming traffic from suspected attack sources thus shielding the client from all of those unwanted messages. It may also use something called rate limiting. This is essentially all about setting boundaries, which is important in any relationship. You got to set your boundaries. Now, in this case, setting boundaries means setting how many requests a server will accept in a given amount of time. And once you hit that limit, no more requests can come through until the next available time slot opens up. That limits both the attacks and legitimate traffic, however. So it can definitely reduce the, the probability of a DDoS attack taking down a target, but it also means that legitimate users aren't going to really be able to get access either. So everyone kind of gets affected. Another strategy is making use of a reverse proxy. All right, so proxies are really useful things on the internet. And it's very possible that you've used one before. If you use a VPN, you have relied on a proxy. So a proxy stands in place for some other entity. With VPNs, the proxy stands in place for clients. So when you connect your computer to a VPN, you're connecting to a proxy server. And all the web traffic you engage with 
has to go through that VPN. So to the outside world, if someone were snooping on you, they would see that you are connected to a VPN, but that's as far as they could tell. They, they know that you connected to this VPN, but that's as much as they know. They could also tell that the VPN is connecting to all these other different sites and services, but they wouldn't be able to say for sure that that was you directing the VPN to do that because the VPN's also got lots of other computers connected to it. So you don't know who is connecting to what. You can see that everything is going into the VPN, and then you can see that the VPN is then sending that information along to the various clients connected to the VPN, but you have obfuscated what folks are doing. VPNs are used for all sorts of legitimate reasons. Uh, there are companies that use VPNs so that way outsiders can't snoop on traffic between the company and the employees, for example. Uh, VPNs can be used to get around regional uh, restrictions. So an example of that could be in a foreign country where the government is really cracking down on internet access. A VPN might allow you to, or proxy server might allow you to sidestep those restrictions and access the internet in an otherwise unfettered way. So there are legitimate reasons for this. Uh, so the VPN sends all traffic along to you and due to encryption and the fact that there are multiple clients connected to the VPN, it hides what's going on. Now, reverse proxy is similar, but it's different in an important way. So a reverse proxy is a server that sits in front of other servers. So with a VPN, no server will ever connect directly to a client. It can only connect to a client via the VPN. With a reverse proxy, no client can connect to a specific server. It instead connects to the reverse proxy server, which acts as kind of a middleman and then sends traffic along to the ultimate server. So it's a gatekeeper, really. And attackers would not have the IP address of the target server. They would instead be able to only direct traffic to the reverse proxy server. So if a company like Cloudflare is in charge of those reverse proxy servers, Cloudflare can institute tougher security measures to prevent an onslaught of illegitimate traffic hitting the target. So the reverse proxy kind of acts like a really tough bouncer outside of a club. The bouncer will let the right folks into the club and make sure that the undesirables hit the curb. Now, protecting against DDoS attacks can get really sophisticated, largely because a well-designed DDoS attack will aim at hitting a target through several layers, right? They won't just be a simple, overwhelming attack if they're, if they're planned out properly. So defense has to be able to work for all these different layers of attack. Otherwise, you could protect one part of your target, but leave another part unshielded, and boom, the DDoS attack still ends up being effective. This is why companies like Cloudflare exist, because while protection isn't impossible, it is time-consuming, it's easy to get wrong, and it's also why it's a really big deal whenever Cloudflare dumps a client, which doesn't happen often, but it can in extreme circumstances. For example, there's the Kiwi Farms case. Now, in case you are unaware of Kiwi Farms, which I would say you are lucky if you don't know what Kiwi Farms is, Kiwi Farms uh, is a site that houses forums largely dedicated to doxing, that is the release of private information about a person, uh, harassing, abusing, and threatening certain folks. For example, uh, the trans community. And 
it's beyond horrifying the lengths that folks will go to in order to torture targets. And the Kiwi Farms groups have been known to heap so much abuse on people, including revealing details of their personal lives on online or inventing stories and spreading them as if they were true online or swatting victims. That that means that they make a fake emergency call into law enforcement that prompts an armed response team to arrive at the target's home. These levels of abuse have gone so far that some folks were driven to committing suicide as a result. It is truly horrifying stuff. Now, Kiwi Farms depended on Cloudflare to shield the site from attacks because obviously a hate group is also going to become a target itself from people who want to take that hate group down. In September of this year, Cloudflare announced it was dropping Kiwi Farms as a client due to, quote, immediate threat to human life, end quote. And so Kiwi Farms has had trouble staying online ever since and has been the uh, the site of data breaches since then. People have gotten access to accounts and things like that. And there are related issues that the site has encountered that involve hosting. So not just protection, but hosting. But that's that's a, a related but different matter. So we're not going to go into all that. But it really does illustrate that Cloudflare's services are really important, particularly for high-profile sites, whether that site is high-profile because it's seen as being a really important part of the infrastructure as a, as a whole, or it's just high-profile because of the nature of the site itself in the case of Kiwi Farms. And once that protection goes away, those sites have a real hard time staying up because they are such a tempting target. At any rate, the DDoS attack that brought down the airport websites that I talked about at the beginning that appears to have been a relatively simple one. It was effective in that it did clog up web traffic to the airport websites, but it didn't take very long for folks to resolve the problem. And as I mentioned, it failed to disrupt travel at all. But we still see the occasional DDoS attack take down sites and services that have a wider impact on society. So it's not like these things are going away. And again, part of the responsibility falls to us as denizens of the online world to make sure that we are being as careful as we can so that we don't compromise our devices and and have them join zombie armies. Some of it is beyond our control. Some of it falls to companies to make sure that they institute better security measures when they create internet-connected devices so that hackers don't easily have a, a, a skeleton key that gives them access to an enormous number of those devices. And uh, obviously, ultimately at fault are the people who are directing these attacks, right? If they weren't doing it, then it wouldn't be a concern. But we have to do our best to make sure we don't become part of the problem. Anyway, that was today's spooky topic of zombie computers and zombie armies. Um, I'll be talking about lots of other types of spooky-related stuff, questionably spooky-related stuff this month. Uh, I'm still trying to figure out how I could do a Ghost in the Machine episode. Uh, I'll try and figure out if I can make that happen. And there's some other concepts that are floating around that I would like to tackle. If you have suggestions for spooky topics that are tech-related, let me know. One way to do that is to download the iHeartRadio app. It's free to download and use. Just navigate on over to the Tech Stuff page. You can do that in the search engine. 
and use the little microphone icon to leave me a voice message up to 30 seconds in length. Let me know if you would like me to use the message in an upcoming episode. Uh, I'm all about opt-in, so I will only do it if you tell me expressly that it's okay to do it. And the other way to reach out to me is on Twitter. The handle for the show is TechStuffHSW. And I'll talk to you again really soon. Tech Stuff is an iHeartRadio production. For more podcasts from iHeartRadio, visit the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to your favorite shows. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Get emotional with me, Radhi Devlukia, in my new podcast, A Really Good Cry. We're going to be talking with some of my best friends. I didn't know we were going to go there on this. People that I admire. When we say listen to your body, really tune in exactly. to what's going on. Authors of books that have changed my life. Now you're talking about sympathy, right. which is different than empathy, yeah. right? Never forget, it's okay to cry as long as you make it a really good one. Listen to A Really Good Cry with Radhi Devlukia on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. It's brand new season two. I'm Marissa Thalberg. And I'm Stephen Wolf Bededa. And we're excited to be back having bigger, bolder, and always real conversations. Straight from the C-suite front lines of marketing, media, and more. We have great friends joining from people you may know, like Wilmer Valderrama and Bobby Burke. And people you'll want to know. So grab a coffee or, hey, even an Aperol Spritz and come join us on America's number one podcast network, iHeart. Listen to brand new on the iHeart Radio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. A rested child is a happy child. Sleep Tight Stories is a weekly podcast that brings comfort and joy to families worldwide with calming bedtime stories. The stories are relevant to children and spark wonder without overstimulation, so they can fall asleep and stay asleep. Listen to Sleep Tight Stories on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. For a bedtime routine you'll miss when they're grown, sleep tight stories.